0: Still doing our, our red, white, and blue series. It's really hard. Can we do, we do you want to talk about that today? Um, let's talk about it. Let's put a
1: one minute cap on it.
0: <laughs> Here's the thing about living in what feels like the end of America's foundational promise. Uh, it's really fucking hard to continue to love the 4th of July <laughs> and want to, you know, watch 1776 or participate in all of the joy bringing that usually accompanies this time of year for me. Not the least of which is reading late Georgian romance novels.
1: hmm Also, late Georgian romance novels based specifically in the New World.
0: Right. There's a lot happening here that's, like, super intense and awesome to read about. Not the least of which is, like, the birth pangs of a new nation.
1: Yeah. Cool. There's your 60
0: seconds. Ugh. <laughs> All right. <sighs> Hi, I'm Isabel. I'm Morgan. And this is Womance.
1: A podcast about romance novels. Bodice busters. Grand old flags. High flying flags.
0: <laughs> the red, white, and blue.
1: <laughs> about, oh God, that it is about, in this case... The complexities of war and innocence,
0: spies, syphilis,
1: French letters,
0: French diseases,
1: acting (laughs) actors (laughs) and the
0: theater, playwrights, English gentry, and a very early revolutionary Me Too moment. (laughs) But most of all, it's about us. Our romance novels. Ourselves. On this week's episode, we are taking a look at Donna Thorland's Mistress Firebrand. It's part of her Rebel heroine series. The first of which is called Turncoat, which is also very good. We chose Mistress Firebrand, uh, not the least of which because it has a biracial hero and has all the things that we already mentioned. It has war. It has syphilis. It has spies. It has choosing your own sexual destiny. It has it. It has it all. So let's get to it. All right. Well, you picked this book, so I guess I've got summary duty. You do.
1: So, Mistress Firebrand is a story of Jennifer Layton, who is a burgeoning playwright and actress in New York City during the Revolutionary War. I think we pick up in 1777? 1775. Yep. December 1775 on Manhattan Island. And she is the niece of a renowned actress on the English stage who was born in America. Mm -hmm. named Frances, her Aunt Frances, who gets her this gig in a playhouse run by this guy named Bobby, who is one of the, you know, multi-generational acting families. And Jenny has an opportunity to get herself a, what's it called? A
0: patron. A
1: patron. A sugar daddy, Mm -hmm. um, who can allow her career to flourish, which was like pretty much the only way career gals had a chance. But instead, she encounters a spy who has been assigned to protect this. English general, general named Severin, who was also born in the United States. He's half Mohawk mm-hmm. and half English. His mother was English. And they fall in love. And they have some adventures together because he's a spy. He For the British. Mm-hmm, for the British. Over the course of their relationship in this novel, which I think is a total of 30 years in
0: length... <laughs> It is not.
1: He turns coat, Mm -hmm. gives up being a lobster. Back. Decides to be a blue crab.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, For love and liberty, For for
1: love and liberty. Because Because he's always
0: been deeply uncomfortable with the oppression that the Brits are uh, excising in the colonies. But
1: he is the second son of a lord or an earl. Yes. I think it's an earldom, but he's not getting the earldom, and he decides he's going to prove himself to the English by being a, a murderer and a spy, and he's just come off of a mission where he was supposed to capture the biggest American spy Mm -hmm. who was a woman called the Widow. And it turns out Aunt Frances was pals with the Widow intrigue love making, and a really valuable lesson for all of us about the eroticism of safe sex
0: mm-hmm. ensues. Mm-hmm. Although Agreed. I'm not convinced that she did a good job of eroticizing safe sex. I'm 100% there with you, and do, <laughs> do you want to start there? Yeah, can we start there? Sure, let's start there. But before we start there, <laughs> Uh-oh. can we have the shadow of Aunt Frances' The Divine Fanny's illness, Less shadowed and more uh, defined? Yeah.
1: Aunt Fanny got syphilis from her patron and he died from it and she got syphilis that made her forget her lines and confuse herself. She she's didn't in, she didn't like lose
0: her nose. She's in the end stages now though. Like that's yeah. the whole thing. She's yeah. like losing her mind and She's she, losing her mind, but she's not losing her looks. The book it, makes true. that point a lot. It does, which is kind of strange. Like she should have clearly been eaten by the syphilis at that point. But whatever. Like so the idea that safe sex is deeply important to this novel is foregrounded in numerous ways, not the least of which is like... Yeah, it's not subtle. No, not at all. What? Like It's like three-grounded. It's like five-grounded? It's five not grounded I think that's really nice, though, because it's like, not only are you vulnerable when you have sex as a woman because of the possibility of pregnancy, but then there's also this, like, question of patronage and money involved, and then there's also the question of, like, you could lose your mind.
1: Yeah, and also, in spite of all of this, Aunt Frances sends Jenny to get fucked by the general without a French letter and was like, you don't want any of
0: those. Boys won't like you if you use those, yeah, basically. That's 100% what happens. But what's crazy about that scene is like we there's 150 pages of lead up to that. Yeah. Like, we talk so much about the thing that you have to sacrifice to get the patronage of General Burgoyne that, like, Jenny goes in with pretty, like, eyes wide open as much as they can be for a virgin playwright actress who's never had yeah. to, like, transact her sexuality before.
1: Yeah, and Frances is very Virginia Woolf a room of one's own whenever it comes to having sex with wealthy men Jenny I think is like well maybe I should just like do housework and we'll save money on like a housekeeper Mm -hmm. and her aunt explains that the real advantage men have over women is that they don't have domestic duties and as soon as you start taking on those domestic duties you lose the ability to have a creative life you lose the time and the energy which is going to be complicated once we get to the ending of this book because uh, not to shock any of our listeners Listeners, but this romance novel <laughs> ends with a marriage. Sure does. Let's
0: let's go back to the eroticism of the French letters and question because, like, I know where you're going to go with this uh, happy <coughs> ending, and I and I have an answer for it. I think. Um,
1: I want to. I'm going to really quickly search for French letters in this book. I'm really curious how often the term gets used. Why are they called French letters?
0: Do you know? You know, I don't. I could surmise. I I would say that they're called French letters because syphilis is called the French disease or the French pox. I think French are just associated with sex Sex, a lot. Yeah, Just sexy sex. It's like the English are like, we're mad that you're having it slash you're having it all the time and we want to have it like the French have it. And they also have better food. Oh my God, hands down. They're also called sheaths, which I much prefer to condoms, frankly. I'm going to start calling condoms sheaths. Let's see how far that gets me.
1: Well, you're married, so.
0: (laughs) Done and done.
1: (laughs) 13 times that he's used in the plural. Wow. I learned a lot about early condoms. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing Thorland is very self indulgent
0: with her historical facts. Mm. What do you mean by self indulgent in this context? I mean,
1: I did not need to know how one procured French letters. I didn't need to know how one identified if a French letter was of quality. There are three different things she points out. Like, she's not explaining this to me because she's worried about my well-being and Mm -hmm. my ability to purchase a French letter. Mm -hmm. Because thank God I don't have to put a papery, dried piece of sheep's intestine inside me. Let alone one with pink, fancy ribbons. That have illustrations on them. There's a whole thing about how to properly tie
0: the pink ribbons You tie them underneath the member near the scrotum so that they tickle you when you have sex. Well, like, he tells her, like, now twist it around because it'll
1: feel better for you later, which, like, I guess if you like your taint tickle. (laughs) Yeah, he was making some assumptions there. I know. (laughs) I was like, I think that sounds like it'd be cooler for you. Mm. Oh, and, like, how tight to tie it. Mm -hmm. And, like, why you should do a knotted bow. Mm -hmm. And why you should get one with an illustration, even though it seems silly. And, like, why you need to like keep them wet after you use them the first time and how like every person needs their own set. This was over the course of a sex scene.
0: There's a lot of information for a sex scene. And guess
1: what? It gummed up the works. (laughs) I am all for safe sex. I am all for writing about using condoms Mm -hmm. and also, you know, being realistic in the way that they are a part of people's sex lives. But this was outrageous. This was (laughs)
0: egregious. Egregious. It was so much information. I like, here's the thing. I just imagine that Donna Thorland went down the research rabbit hole and like was looking at historical archives of like what a French letter looked like and the illustrations and she got so excited about the Yeah, she got the so jazzed on it. Yeah, of like the condoms that would have been available and the fact that like. She was like, this
1: is gonna be 20 pages of my next fucking book. That's why it's self-indulgent. But like also
0: what's part of it that I love so much is like Severin is such a key part of that. Yeah, I'm but like- it's it's not that much in his perspective. No, and that's the weird thing about the French <laughs> letters, but, like, he has this erotic fantasy of her tying the ribbon on him, and, like, he has this, like, really intense, like, discussion inside of his own narrative about what safe sex means and, like, yeah. what it means to be protected Yeah, and the way, like, in which he views bodily autonomy. All of that comes out in this discussion of ushering oh. her into safe sex.
1: Hold on. All of that stuff happens yeah. well before this scene Oh, with totally. the French letters. They,
0: like, know each other for an entire year before they have sex.
1: How can you, well, and also his internalness about safe sex and bodily autonomy and French letters Mm -hmm. has already well been established. That's true. He could have just been, and frankly, like, there are so many essentially
0: fun facts (laughs) peppered (laughs) into this sex scene. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, it does take you out. I reread that sex scene, like, just before you came over to be like, huh, because, like, I was thinking about what's the sexiest part, and I was like, it's very memorable. It's a very very memorable scene. It's exhausting. <laughs>
1: it's People who run marathons aren't like, "Oh, I totally forgot about that marathon." Like that's <laughs> also memorable.
0: Right. So, it was measuring memorability over like titillation. And it turns out that I was not as titillated.
1: Uh, no, absolutely not. There is this interesting thing though that the book is doing and I think is kind of tethered to Fanny's illness Mm -hmm. and the choice to make uh, Jenny a part of the theater Mm -hmm. that has to do with the idea of choice Mm -hmm. and also the idea of parody. Mm -hmm. And I think this is as a book confronts parody in a way that other books haven't. Mm -hmm. So we already talked about Aunt Fanny explaining
0: her room of one's own thing. Yeah, I think that's a really great line. This book has like, I highlighted a lot of lines where I was Mm -hmm. like, ooh,
1: Oh, uh, Severn is trying to figure out why he's so upset by Jennifer Layton choosing to meet
0: this general Mm -hmm. to become his... Let's call her his bird. He refers to her in lots of really, like, really condescending and terrible ways. Like, there's no question, like, of what she envisions the patronage looking like. There's a real question of what this general envisions, like, doing a favor for a young woman who thinks of herself as a playwright means.
1: Which is really interesting because she has a lot of reference material for what the patronage is going to be because Mm -hmm. he's patronized many. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, Severin, in his perspective, the book says, and yet something about it rubbed him the wrong way. It was more than the undeniable fact that he desired her for himself. It was a matter of coercion or rather of genuine choice italicized that quite unexpectedly struck him as problematic. I think he comes to realize Jennifer Layton has specific and realistic expectations for a relationship with her patron. Mm -hmm. And I think he realizes that, you know, he's not bamboozling her mm-hmm. by taking her hand and putting it on his penis and mm-hmm. stuff like that but this question of genuine choice like
0: is that a genuine choice if you have no other option if you have no other avenue to like rise in the world and follow your ambitions no, no. that's a question that this book is certainly really preoccupied with but I
1: think like here Severn's like it is a genuine choice but it's like is it Severin? because it's just like regular subjugation totally voicelessness
0: totally and he really comes around machine.
1: And then he's like, versus having a voice, having a creative outlet, having a career, having some kind of control of your own destiny,
0: Mm -hmm. that's not a genuine choice. No, and he comes around to it, right? Like, when she goes, and he, like, counsels her against it, he really sees Burgoyne as this bad guy, who he is, and he counsels Jenny against it, and Jenny's like, you can't get in my way, I want this, there's no place for me in American theater, which are being shut down by Congress, which was also a very interesting, fun fact, but she wants to back out at the last minute, and Burgoyne is like that those are not the terms of our agreement and he's going to rape her and then severin's like not on my watch
1: no she's the one who hits him on the head with a statue and knocks him out severin doesn't save her from rape he saves her from
0: the uh, consequences of knocking him him out out. braining the guy yeah
1: which is is more interesting yeah i guess he
0: did come into the room whenever he heard a kerfuffle Mm -hmm. and he certainly assumed that something was happening that was Rabie. Yeah. I have a question for you. Sure. What do you think of Jennifer? What do I think of Jennifer? I think Jennifer is a particular kind of enjoyable, fantastic anachronism. I can you tell me what's
1: anachronistic?
0: about Jennifer, Mm -hmm. almost everything. Not the least of which is, like, also her name, Jenny, feels like a really modern name. Whether or not it really is sort of doesn't matter in this context, but um, she feels anachronistic because of the way in which she comes to decisions, and the way in which, like, she moves through things, and the way in which she encounters the obstacles of her gender and her time, and, like, doesn't easily overcome them, but, like, overcomes them in a way that feels, like, maybe that really wouldn't have happened. And, like, that's something that, like, I don't want to get into historicals because, like, whatever you want can happen in a historical, and sure, there might have even been a precedent for it, and, like, I'm totally fine with that. Like, that doesn't ruin the fantasy of Jenny for me at all. Uh The thing about this particular historical is that it felt very much 2009 and 1779 at the same time. Like, I was so very much in the muck and the mire of Manhattan Island in 1779, but, like, all of her internal thinking, even the term problematic in Severance narrative, feels so super modern.
1: I would also say something that felt super modern in a way that kind of broke Jenny for me, Mm -hmm. but also I think is going to speak to a lot of the problems you're facing currently when thinking about the 4th of July. There is a slave named Mr. Dearborn at Mm -hmm. the theater, who is owned by the theater owner, Bobby, who has proposed to Jennifer and Jennifer has refused refused him and said it is because he owns a slave. And the book though goes into it and we get the like most white woman feminism bullshit. She says, Aunt Frances had always said that a man who thought he could own another man would be certain he owned any woman foolish enough to call herself his wife. No, Jenny could not stomach the idea of being any man's master, as she would be Mr. Dearborn's, a man whose skill and experience in the theater exceeded her own if she became Bobby's wife. So this first part, who thought he could own another man would be certain he owned any woman foolish enough to call herself his wife, Not the same thing. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. Further, Jenny couldn't stomach the idea of being any man's master in italics. She's like, who, me? No. It's like, I'm glad you can't stomach the idea, but like, legally, you can. Like, policy says you can. And so if you can't stomach the idea, maybe holding off on marrying someone isn't like, maybe you should be doing something more. Maybe if you ask Mr. Dearborn, hey, how could I help you break out of this situation? That's true uh maybe that would actually be a helpful thing for you to do maybe you could kill bobby that would be good maybe you could go full on uh james brown yeah the hero of kansas and uh kill some slave owners and then she says a man whose skill and experience in the theater exceeded her own well yeah jenny he's 20 years older than you you
0: fucking patronizing little jerk Jenny's very young and innocent sometimes, and I and I get why you say this reads like particularly white woman because I agree. Like this a- is pat white feminism. Yes.
1: And I was like, Jenny. And you know, she's going to make all sorts of excuses for why she hasn't publicly spoken out about abolition by being like, I'm married to a half Native
0: American guy. That is probably exactly what Jenny would say. (laughs) Or I'm not a racist, obviously, (laughs) gesturing wildly to her husband. Yeah, I think what's interesting about this book, though, is like it sometimes feels just a little out of sync with itself because Severin has a particularly long thought narrative early in the beginning where he's walking around before he goes to the theater at all and he says one of the great lies of the liberty boys is that slavery is legal in the colonies how can you call yourself the liberty boys mm-hmm. if you're okay with slavery which they so clearly are yeah. and so part of the thing that severin and part of the reason that he's attached himself to the british is because they've said that anybody who opposes the colonists will immediately gain their freedom. And that, to Severin, feels more like an avenue of true escape than anything that the colonies are offering. And he's, like, 100% not wrong on that.
1: Yeah. You know, I will say, I think Jenny's limited perspective, that I kind of get the feeling we're supposed to be sympathetic towards in that moment. Mm -hmm. That aside, this book really does not provide easy winners and losers. Aside from the part when General Washington actually shows up and you find out that's when it becomes America fanfic for a hot minute. <laughs>
0: The way in which it describes New York as, like, at the mercies of mob rule, Mm -hmm. and that mob rule is both in insurrection to the British oppression, but also in sort of insurrection to itself, it doesn't have an outlet yet, of the open war, and it's dangerous for everyone. Like, they're indiscriminately tarring and feathering people, and this, like, isn't a discussion about what it means to be civil, because they're hurting innocents, but, like, there is a discussion of what, what is too far and what isn't too far and what too far means in terms of the things that we're willing to sacrifice for. And I think this book is like really asking big questions. And I like that about this.
1: I would almost argue that maybe the book isn't asking big questions, but as you would expect with a self-indulgent historian, it's stating facts. Yeah. Which which allows it to be in... Yeah, that feel like questions. Speaking of things that feel like questions, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Severin as a hero. Yeah, he's fucking hot as shit. He's just so controlled.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm sad for him that he's controlled, Mm -hmm. but I also like it. Me too. It feels like safe... (laughs) But also deadly.
1: Well, hold on, because he full on
0: murders people. Oh yeah, bloody, bloody, gory murder people. Yeah, there's like a little bit of murder porn in this, and like I didn't hate it. Uh, Really? No, when he like when they're walking in that back alley, and he's just like fucking dis. Batches people. Yeah, he kills people. He also teaches Jenny to kill people yeah, in their, that. like,
1: first encounter. Safety first. I guess. I don't like it. You know, which is weird because I'm always, I'm very much of, like, the school of thought of, like, yeah, Batman probably kills people, you know? Oh, the yeah. Frank Miller school of thought. Like, I don't think he totally gets away with not killing anyone no, ever. He doesn't. But, uh, also, reading it in a romance novel really messed with me. I did not like it. That's funny. She talks about, like, washing the gore off his axe
0: or of his tomahawk rather and like there's that moment too where it's like the british see severin as like a kind of unmolded tool because of his half native american half british heritage so like this idea that he could go wild at any moment, is, like, deeply inside of the rhetoric that surrounds Severin, and he's constantly fighting against it, which is why he's so controlled and feels, like, even very particularly British. Yeah. And like, the sort of, like, Archibald way. Yeah. Um,
1: Which they talk about all the time. Yeah. Like, he's almost... Affected.
0: Right. And I think part of that is because he's fighting the thing that people immediately see, which is his hair and his skin color and all of that other stuff. So it was really weird in those moments of murder rage when he let himself go, because there was a moment of that thing where it's like, I don't want to become the thing that people think I am, yet I have this particular skill set. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love you so much for your conflict. <laughs> To
1: that end, I'm kind of curious. So this author does not give you everything. Mm
0: -mm. She holds
1: back. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I'm like, I kind of like that. Like she doesn't attempt to give you like mohawk phrases Mm -hmm. when they're offered in the book and kind of the idea of like that doesn't belong to you or that's something really special shared between these characters. There are other times when I'm like, quit being such a cock tease. (laughs) I want to find it. First of all, this would have otherwise been th- this author takes so much care to not use profanity mm-hmm. until John Andre who's our like third act villain there's mm-hmm. so many fucking villains in this novel
0: but like there's so many fucking villains there's so many fucking quote unquote like good guys and bad guys, but like this is a complicated narrative about how people are complicated. Aunt Fanny doesn't come out smelling like a rose, and neither really does Jenny or Severin, who's murdered people in front of us, like on stage. But I think we're supposed to like Severin and Jenny in spite of all of it. And I right, think we're also supposed to like
1: Francis, which I think is a flaw in the book, then to like Francis. No, like it's fine to, because they do things that are unlikable and kind of irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Like I could enjoy the sex scenes in this book, but I wasn't, like, pleased for the people having sex. Mm. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Frankly, I could not tell you what happened in the sex scene beyond putting on the condom. When I first heard he had, like, fantasies about teaching her how to Mm -hmm. put on a French letter, I was like, that's pretty hot. Mm -hmm. I hope this pays off. They have
0: sex on a chaise. (laughs) It
1: It does not make up for what I was forced to
0: endure. I'll go ahead and agree with you on that. Can I talk about Frances and her boyfriend? Yeah. We meet Frances and her boyfriend, Courtney Fairchild, who is a good friend of Severin from school, one of the only people that was good to Severin. And Courtney Fairchild is an upstanding young man. He's kind, he's funny, he's generous, doesn't have enough money to be a patron, but he likes to go to Aunt uh, Fanny's salons. And we find out later that he is quietly taking care of her as her syphilis advances. And he sleeps in this trundle bed uh, next to hers and they hold hands and she never has sex with him because she's dying of this terrible disease and she doesn't want him to have it. And like the way in which they're companionship denuded of sexuality in that way it's not actually denuded of sexuality which i think is fascinating and the way in which their love and companionship moved them both and moved them both to do extraordinary things but this i think a really like beautifully rendered discussion about all of the kinds of love that we can have for people i do think it denuded it of sexuality (laughs) a trundle bed (laughs) i love trundle bed yeah everyone
1: loved a trundle bed at a sleepover when they were 12. yeah it
0: was so exciting and then like the idea of like a grown man like sleeping on a trundle bed next to the woman that he loves and can never have like that felt very I don't know a trundle bed what else are you gonna call it
1: well I mean like what if he just slept in the same bed as her or like even sleeping on the floor next to her would have been like a little bit more erotic a trundle bed because you
0: trundled over to her
1: that's not a phrase. After the attack I endured over short pants,
0: people do not say he trundled
1: over to
0: her. Forget it. Trundle, trundle.
1: Oh my god.
0: I thought it was so sweet. It was like a real little chocolate on your pillow.
1: I can't find it. I can't believe I didn't highlight it. Because I highlighted lots of times whenever she wrote stuff like, and then he uttered a word that was only well known in whorehouses. And I was like, What word
0: is it? Fuck. Oh, that's in the sex scene. I can tell you right there. Like, yeah, I have
1: that part highlighted. But I'm thinking like whenever they have the um, the oral sex scene, whenever they go to like the fair or whatever mm-hmm. in the park and he's like, meet me in the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And she's like, they're going to see us. He's like, no, they're not. And he like makes her hold up her skirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he go d- goes down on her. Mm-hmm. And I think in the scene it says something like, and he told her, all of the things he was thinking of while he was doing it and it's like just write that <laughs> it's like the Tanisha's D this is the greatest song yeah. in the world like oh my god you guys this stuff is really hot <laughs> it's like just write it
0: fair that is so dumb! Yeah, that was a weird moment. Where it's like, why have an author shy away from the eroticism of the thing that's happening? Like, yeah! she's holding her skirts over his head so he can, like, eat her out in a public place.
1: Yeah, like, and then they're going to be like, and then
0: it's like, yeah. and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what he said. You're just going to have to think for even, yourself. Or even, like, really what he did. Yeah. I mean, Do you was- think
1: maybe Donna Thorland has never had oral sex performed on her. And no. that's why she's unable I've been thinking a lot about Kathleen Woodywiss's orgasm description. Mm-hmm. The
0: Holocaust of emotions. Yeah, and I kind of feel like maybe she never had an orgasm. Here, no. Oh, sh Woodywiss? Yeah, I would 100% believe that about Kathleen Woodiwiss. Here's the thing that I'm going to say about Donna Thorland. She's come to romance fiction and like you and I can even quibble about this because like, do we want to class this as a romance? Do we want to class this as a quote unquote women's fiction, which is where it sometimes ends up on Amazon? Do we want to call this a historical fiction? Like there's a discussion to be had there. But as far as that's concerned, like this is a particular moment where it feels like it's moving out of romance genre into something else. For a particular kind of reason and it almost has to do with like shyness like I'm not going to yeah. comment on anything to do with like Donna Thorland's personal life but like this medium is not her first medium she's written for TV a lot she's doing the and Sabrina this is a very
1: dialogue heavy book
0: this is an extremely dialogue heavy book a lot <laughs> of the Except action whatever the dialogue is just like and he said some very sexy dialogue <laughs> <laughs> and like I think like that comes through in here and the reason why I'll tell you that like Donna Thorland can write a cunnilingus scene is because in her first book Turncoat, which I almost had us read, there's an incredible linguist scene that like lasts like 11 pages.
1: Mm-hmm. It's turncoat ahead of this book in the series? Yeah. Maybe she had just discovered cunnilingus the same way she <laughs> just discovered French letters before she started writing this one. And
0: that's why I got so much airtime. Uh, maybe. I mean, it was great. It's sexy. Like, there are a lot of other problems with turncoat, which is probably why I didn't want to talk about it. But I wanted to talk about this one because Severin is such a particular kind of ally. And like, he is like this discussion that we've had about parody in this yeah. book and like the questions about what it means to like have equal partnership in a relationship. Severin is as invested in that question as Jenny is, and Jenny is the party that has the most to lose.
1: Can you tell me a bit more about why you think Jenny has the most to lose?
0: I mean, just like as a woman in the late Georgian era, where it's like you become legally dead when you're married. Like That won't happen to Severin.
1: Oh, you mean she has the most to lose in marriage? She
0: has the most to lose in marriage. She has the most to lose in romantic relationships like women that's part of the thing about historical romances is like you can say something true about what it means to be a woman and to be actually classed differently and like have a question about what equality means outside of our discussions about like you know the gender pay gap you can have it here where it's like not only could she lose all of her ambitions she could lose all of her money she could lose her entire legal identity to a man and like that's a dangerous thing to give over even to someone who loves you
1: but I think Severin is in a very precarious, precarious position. Position. Yeah. I don't think it's, I mean, he has a lot to lose. And, you know, if she is at the end of the book, if she is captured and killed by Burgoyne, like mm-hmm. Severin will be as well. Mm-hmm. Because he's not actually the son of a lord and everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. And the lord doesn't really care about his well-being. And in fact, he finds out that no one in the English army cares about his well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's considered a less than citizen because of his race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think it's, I think parity exists in this coupling to an extent, although it's convoluted and mm-hmm. it's fluctuating. Yeah, it and fluctuates wildly. Liquid, but mm-hmm. I don't think you can say Jenny has the most to lose. Okay,
0: I'm convinced by that. Because
1: I think Jenny always has the opportunity to return home to Connecticut, and yeah, it sucks, but... That's true.
0: She like does. if
1: if Severin Severin has made the decision early on in his life that he can either make this situation work as a spy or he dies, yeah, like it's it's very life or death for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Jenny has
0: gradients in her opportunities. I wouldn't call them opportunity. She, well, she, she has, has like radiance
1: less... in her shitty situation. Like totally. she has
0: she has less far to fall. She has steps to land on as she falls to death, right. And it's like all or nothing in Severin's case. It's, it's all or nothing in Severin's case, yeah, ok. Which is weird to be the second son of an Earl. And, like, be in that kind of precarious situation and like that's a question about what race means and then I loved the backstory that we eventually got which was so confusing (laughs) in the beginning to get to
1: and I was like what are we talking about and even like I was like who is this aunt and uncle how are they related to him wait so everyone knows he's half mohawk but like wait his mom's English and his dad's English like I could not for the life of me discern what was happening
0: it was it was terribly confusing he calls himself the second son born on the wrong side of the blanket which means that his mother had sex with this mohawk guy and like everyone just accepts it and like to deal with like the embarrassment that that infidelity causes the earl accepts that the second son is his and name Mm -hmm. and just deals with it that way but then like you find out later that it wasn't the story that severin got that like they're Settlement was raided and she's had to leave or whatever. But it turns out that he and his older brother left with their mother and she just walked into the arms of the man that she loved, which was this Mohawk man. And they lived out in the wilds of upstate New York for 10 years. And his father
1: couldn't get her declared dead. And so he eventually took her back. And he also wanted an heir. And so he claimed the firstborn as his own. And that was that. That was that. And they created this narrative that
0: she'd been kidnapped yeah. and all sorts of stuff. Which just like was patently false and disgusting and terrible that she went along with it. And like also like super bruising and terrible to grow up with yourself. But like he describes his early childhood in Arcadia as this kind of idyllic always space that he doesn't look at because it's too beautiful to touch. Which is then how he begins to identify with Jenny. Where it's like he wants her but he can't have her because she's like too beautiful to have.
1: I remember his description of Arcadia talking about whenever they're there together wandering through the wilderness and she points out how beautiful it is and he's like I've only ever seen it as like potential dangers and potential opportunities because that's how my father taught me and then he talks about his actual dad this Asher Rice mm-hmm. character
0: who eventually shows up in no. on Duzek's Machina style <laughs> saves his son's life yeah um, I'm not mad about Asher Rice showing up Duzek's Machia style
1: yeah yeah no it's fine alright sexiest bit well I really wanted it to be the cunnilingus scene but I've already talked about how disappointing that was you know I love these little subtle moments
0: yeah I can tell you the one that I find sexiest I think the
1: first time he kisses her, Mm -hmm. (gasps) the slot. Mm -hmm. For sure, everything that happens in the slot. Mm -hmm. But the slot begins with, his lips unexpectedly soft covered hers. It was the lightest of touches. A question, not an answer. Ugh very good Very good. so the slot slot is probably the word that gets used um, as often as French letters Mm -hmm. in this book the slot is like a little closet Mm -hmm. on the side of a stage that was often used in England for patrons and their patron assignations to bone in and uh, she ends up hiding in there with him after her theater is sieged by the Liberty Boys and he knows about it so he's going to save her and uh, they just manually diddle one another Mm-hmm. in the slot mm-hmm. and they keep talking about that time in the slot mm-hmm. and they say slot, 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 <laughs> slot, 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 slot throughout this book and it's such a good
0: name mm-hmm. for that space. And also like <laughs> the feeling of like your slots not being full.
1: Yeah, that empty slot. That empty slot. Um, I love the idea that like you kind of get the sense from Donna Thorland's historical recounting that the slot kind of served a purpose for the theater itself. Like, Like, Mm -hmm. you kind of waited in there to make your entrance, but you really could have just waited in the wings, and this
0: is definitely just a sex
1: closet. Yeah,
0: it's definitely a sex closet. Can
1: you imagine getting, like, bumping uglies in between scenes and then going out and, like, doing your performance?
0: I mean, if I was playing in a show as long as, like, Hamlet or Macbeth, like, you gotta keep yourself, like, invested. So, yeah, let's, like, bump some fucking uglies. That's
1: how you would keep yourself invested in your performance in Macbeth or Hamlet? Yeah. By having sex with your patron in the slot.
0: Also, have you been backstage when a production is going on? It's like very frenetic. Like people are like crying and laughing and like there are massage circles and like people are like ready to go. Yeah, theater kids are weird.
1: <laughs> I
0: agree. I am just saying But I think
1: that's like a lot of energy and I think it would be it's distracting like a lot with like, of like the, energy. with no French letter and like stuff running down your leg and stuff.
0: Maybe you want to be like that ever so slightly distracted. It'll keep you like tight, keep it loose to keep it tight. Oh my God,
1: Helen Mirren! If you're listening to this episode, would you let us know if you've ever been in a slot situation Maybe or Dame not Ju- Judy
0: Dench? We'd also Dame like to Judy hear from Dench. you.
1: Uh, I can't think of any other Shakespearean actresses who are still
0: around. Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart. I said actresses. Okay.
1: I just, you know, I wonder. It just doesn't seem to, like
0: a good use of energy. I mean, maybe it's the perfect use of the excess of energy, like that, like frenetic, where it's like I'm going to explode.
1: Yeah, but you've got to save it for the stage, baby. Maybe you
0: can't though. You
1: need to jizz all over the front
0: row. <laughs> That's not allowed. <laughs> That's harassment.
1: I think it's allowed in some theaters.
0: Not at the old Vic. Anyway, my sexiest moment, since you asked, was post-coitus, their initial French letter scene, which we've talked about at length. And he's telling her, you can't be Cornelia, which is her rebel spy name, anymore. (laughs) I didn't come back to see you hang, he said, with a sudden vehemence not for words on paper. And she says it's more than that now. Unless, in one sense, because the paper no longer matters. Rivington could never print another copy, and the play will still exist in people's minds. When all I wanted was my plays performed on the London stage, the best I could hope for was the patronage of an important man and the laughter of a multitude. Now British generals want to hang me, armies marched, ditties cribbed by my prologues, and recruiting sergeants quote me to drum up enlistments. But I love you, damn it, And I love you, Severin. But I have seen love up close now, and I will not settle for the kind that limits or diminishes me. You are capable of more than killing. I am capable of more than domestic devotion. I do not wish the kind of love that reduces over time who we each are.
1: Great. I love that you shared your favorite part. I would like to know the sexiest part. That's the sexiest part? No, you keep doing that. You keep doing <laughs> oh these self I can't oh believe. God. I refuse to believe that you That's get so horny so over angry. self-aggrandizing speeches. Like, quit <laughs> it. Fucking stop, Isabel. It's not sex- Sexy. It's nice. It's not sexy. Isabel, do you think
0: like a (laughs) nice breeze? Coming in through a window is sexy. Yeah, sometimes I get titillated by that. No, <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? Do you think of like a kiddie pool full of <laughs> kittens and puppies as sexy? No, that's not sexy. You're just list things you like. Give me an actual <laughs> sexiest part. That was super sexy. I do not want to love in is- the kind of love that reduces over time who we each are. Uh, uh, huh god i love it
1: okay it's great it's great i like it it's great it's not sexy it's so sexy do you know um telling people what you you want is sexy the internet is a strange um it's no technical
0: porn is, is a
1: strange weird place but you don't go to get off on shit like that People aren't going and like furiously touching themselves to here is where I stand before you as a woman. Here is a list of my demands. I get it. That's great. You can't tell me. I asked you what the sexiest part was. Hang on.
0: Hang on. This is, this might be a hill that I potentially want to die on. Like, you can't tell me that no woman has ever touched herself to Julia Stiles saying, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. When does Julia Stiles say that? Not Julia Stiles, uh, Julia Roberts in Notting Hill. I 100% believe that somebody has been like, that's the thing that gets me off.
1: Yeah, sure. In a two hour movie, maybe. (laughs) This is a fucking 9,000 page book that has dozens of sex scenes and you're going to tell me the sexiest one is the denouement of the worst sex scene, <laughs> is worst in, which sex she, scene. in which she expresses her dreams and aspirations yeah. for I Thank you God. God you're married. Because if you were online dating, you would just read people's self-aggrandizing profiles and be like,
0: "Perfect, forever. I'm
1: finished. I'm complete." Light a cigarette. Roll over. <laughs> it was good for me. <laughs> Give me the sexiest part. I don't know that was so. You're scary. being a real Nigel and Maruf right now. <laughs> I'm so mean. Jesus, I worry about you. Why? With the trundle bed. I love and then the, the trundle bed. I know, you love the
0: trundle bed. I like sweetness. I like earnest. I like soft. That's fine. It also gets me off. Like, when I'm, like, Googling things in gifts, and I'm, like, Ugh. one of the words that I sometimes put in my Google search is classy. Also feminist.
1: Classy feminist
0: face cum shot. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You're the one. I really liked the um, cunnilingus scene at the carnival. I thought that was sexy, even if it it was was. a bit of a cock tease. Like the idea of someone just being like, I don't know, I like public sex.
1: It was immediately like whenever he told her to hold up her skirts. Yeah, I love that shit. It talked about her holding up her skirts enough that it's fine that I didn't get what he actually said to her in the sex scene. It was good. But also there was that great sex scene in the coitus interruptus in Mm -hmm. the bakery.
0: Yeah, when he finds out that she's a virgin.
1: Yeah, and that she doesn't have any French letters Mm -hmm. handy. I love
0: that scene I didn't find it like I mean it was like the anticipation was titillating but like that denouement like I couldn't pick that scene because it was too sweet where he's like I'm not gonna have sex with you because of all the terrible things that could go wrong
1: she also this author has this beautiful way of describing scent like in Mm. the first 30 pages the sense of beeswax tapers expensive perfume rum punch and ginger cakes mingled in the humid air Mm. and that's the scene wherein they meet each other it's Mm -hmm. like so perfect Mm -hmm. and then of course in that bakery sex scene talking about the jellies mm-hmm. and the macaroons and the sponge sugars mm-hmm. and the scent and the, like, fog of powdered sugar all around them. <sighs> mm-hmm. She does a great job of setting a scene.
0: Also, the way in which she described clothes and the clothes in which Severin was clothed in, like yes, that first I loved dove gray suit. These,
1: these oftentimes, Holy romance shit. authors forget to talk about men's clothing. Yeah. And it really, in this book, it serves the development of the hero so
0: well. Yeah, exactly. I- and like having his hair come undone from his clubbed queue oh yeah I was just like i'm here for that
1: yes his clothing was very erotic oh yeah the descriptions of his clothing that was a very good part that was mm-hmm. also a very sexy part all
0: right find the clothes all of these were sexier than the thing you oh, chose lies i don't want to love that diminishes us <sighs> i think it <I'm> just <laughs> him a little bit
1: but she like ends up settling for a love that diminishes her
0: no she doesn't She ends
1: yeah up? they have that final part where she's like but if i marry you you'll have to sign all of my contracts for me mm. and he's like and of course they will and she's like well what if we disagree about the terms and he's like then we'll have a discussion do you know what fucking sucks if you get to sign your own contracts you don't have to have a discussion that's true that's real what was the weirdest part for you
0: The weirdest part for me was like the discussion of Francis's relationship with the widow Mm -hmm. and like the entire syphilitic spy subplot coming to a head with Fanny deciding to take poison and kill herself. Yeah. I was like... Which was her plan all along. Like right. From the moment her
1: lover died. hmm Her idea was that she was gonna Juliet.
0: Right. But on her terms, when her memoirs were done, when she was literally unsalvageable in her own mind and like i was fine with all of that but like it came really abruptly it felt strangely violent yeah even though it was very staid and quiet yeah um and her relationship to the widow also felt like a relationship that had an element of violence that i could never really understand like they were friends but they weren't friends they were frenemies yeah they weren't really
1: friends
0: Like, there was a power that the widow had over Francis that was sort of like unknowable, but Francis also really admired the widow because of her power and her isolation. And also that she truly
1: helped Francis. Yeah, truly. Achieve a life of some sort after her
0: patron's death. Yeah. That was my weirdest part where I was like, I don't know what to do with the bundle of feelings that have just been given from this particular yeah. scene. Because I do have a lot of them. And it's like in this like quintessential like moment of what feels like it should be catharsis, but then isn't like John Andre is there and he's like trying to rip the truth out of her to and like expose like, this spy ring. And he's like,
1: well played. But then at the end, he's like, all right, well, none of this is solved.
0: Yeah. and I was like,
1: well. <laughs> so she kind of died for nothing besides yeah. her own comfort and right. convenience. I mean, she died in a much more helpful way to herself than for her niece. Yeah. Your weirdest part? My weirdest part. Well I talked about Mr. Dearborn Mm -hmm. which is a weird part. I talked about the George Washington fanfic moment where like, the novel sets up all of these problems with George Washington Mm -hmm. and then he actually shows up in the book and it's like just kidding. He's the best. Yeah.
0: It's like, here comes a general.
1: <laughs> Did you watch the, what's it called? Something Illinois, but it's uh, Washington, Washington, six foot ten, fucking killing for fun. No. Oh, you should watch it. It's great. You'd love it. Fourth of July. Great. I'll put it into my repertoire. I'll send it to you. But anyways, the weirdest part for me that has yet to be discussed mm-hmm. is the sex scene after the theater is raided. Sex scene, air quotes. They're in the alleyway.
0: <gasps> Yay.
1: Yes. Several decides that the only way they're going to get out is if he behaves as if he is a temporary patron of an actress and so they're trying to escape this theater jenny has already put on the costume of a lady of the night so that she can go watch her play performed but the theater is gonna get raided by the english and so he's like we got to get out of here
0: because they're putting on a american propaganda play
1: yeah uh, that she wrote Mm -hmm. and they want to catch her and he's like okay we're gonna cut through this alley and then they realize there's no other way to escape and he sees a sex worker and a soldier Mm -hmm. in an alleyway he's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. He hoists Jenny up and then he actually penetrates her Mm -hmm. without any warning, without any heads up. Like he's not just going to act like he's having sex with her. He full on penetrates her without her consent another soldier comes by and is like miss I have to ask you like are you in danger we've been specifically told as English soldiers we're not supposed to rape people and so I'm entitled to ask you and she's like no we're fine you know which isn't really a choice because she's like gonna die or she's going to be raped and so she chooses to be raped and then like the soldier goes away and he's like okay let's stop now and she's like no I want it and they have unprotected sex
0: Mm -hmm. for the the first time for the
1: first time and I was gonna be so mad if she got pregnant from it Mm -hmm. and she doesn't but Mm -hmm. it's just like in this whole book Mm -hmm. that's been talking so much about parody and has really been conscientious of consent and how consent can only work between equal partners Mm -hmm. and clearly spoken needs and stuff this just immediately breaks it yeah and is very much sold to us as a scene of eroticism I think Mm -hmm. and if it truly is a romance novel then it is by necessity scene of eroticism
0: and it's so upsetting. Yeah I found it very upsetting when the young man comes and asks her if she's okay because it was really reminiscent of a scene in Outlander where it's in the second book of Outlander it's right before the big battle. For those of you who have read the book or seen the show young John Gray asks if our heroine is okay having really really aggressive sex with Jamie which from the outside perspective if you're not in either of their heads it like really feels and would look like to an outsider rape. And Mm. so this young British soldier is very concerned about this poor young woman (laughs) and is like, are you okay? And then immediately has his arm broken for his trouble. And like that moment was supposed to feel publicly erotic in that book, I think. Yeah. In the same way that this has that same sort of public eroticism that just doesn't make the turn.
1: Yeah. I mean, it talks about him like forcing his way into her. It talks about how uncomfortable it was. She talks about feeling surprised and embarrassed by her body's reaction to getting wet which it felt awful and then whenever the young soldier asks her if she needs help and then realizing as a reader like John Andre knows what she looks like and will if she gets help she's in trouble you know it just was a scene of real hopelessness that I felt attacked on a personal level that I was supposed to like it Mm -hmm. and that's the thing like I can put down the book
0: Mm -hmm. or I can skip that scene Mm -hmm. but I was really upset by it. I think that's one of the ways in which, like, this novel feels out of step with itself. Yeah. Like, that's a moment.
1: out of step with itself, the more we've talked about it, the more mm-hmm. I clearly understand what you mean by that, and the more I think you're
0: on the money. I've thought a lot about this. Like, her other book, Turncoat, which I highly suggest everybody who loves uh, America fan fiction should read, also has a few moments that feel like distinctly out of step with itself. And, mm-hmm. like, this was reminiscent of a couple of those. Like, there's a particular moment, another sex scene that takes place in a dark, like alleyway they're actually in a basement in turncoat and he's like i can't have sex with you you're not gonna like it the way that i'm going to have sex with you and she's like have sex with me and then like the end quote is like she wasn't supposed to like it dot 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 but she did dot and i was like what did he do they just had like you know really aggressive sex on some like wooden crates and like, it's okay that she liked it aggressively. Yeah. It was just like his assumption that she wouldn't like it. And like the book sort of assumption. like ability
1: to still. Like
0: do, do it. it. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, she clearly wanted it. And like, we as readers never question that. But the fact yeah. that he did and was like, you're not going to like it. Like introduce this kind of violence into yeah. it. With the hero that I'm like, I'm supposed to understand him as not violent. Yeah. I'm supposed to understand the violence that he does is in service to their Romance And Severin, we're
1: supposed to understand, is conscientious and careful. And given his position because of his racial identity, he is somehow more empathetic to the plight of being a woman in Jennifer's situation. But no, he's like erect and ready and doesn't ask questions and does it immediately and doesn't even think to check uh, in. Or like you can act like you're having sex with oh, a yeah. prostitute.
0: Yeah. Like no one's going to come up and be like, show me where you're penetrating her like that's not and certainly that young british officer who is extremely earnest in his portrayal like yeah
1: and obviously if a young british officer is gonna see something like that happen they weren't the only couple in the alleyway and it's gonna be like hey i need to check in with this lady like obviously there was something going on that wasn't yeah that's a good point yeah this book is very out of step with itself mm-hmm. oh it was awful she talks about feeling shame about her body's reaction and stuff and like
0: it's- yeah it's uh yeah when you get into those moments you're like "Oof!" and here's the thing like
1: I know I really died on the hill of a pirate's love you sure did but this book spends so much time talking about consent and has other really positive clear conversations happening that I don't think that that's what's happening here I don't think it's in service to a preference to a particular preference
0: yeah, I mean, maybe. And like, also, it feels out of step with itself in like the discussions that we've had about like Severin's race identity, mm-hmm. where it's like those moments in which like they even hesitate to use the phrase like going savage. Mm-hmm. which is sort of something that his officers and higher ups refer to him as doing. Like, this, and he's is,
1: always hyper conscientious that right. he doesn't do.
0: And like this is one of those moments where it's like this feels like I don't know what's happening here but this isn't necessarily in like the conversation that Severin's having with himself.
1: Yeah and like also the way the book uses these really brutal connections to be like look Severin's really coming into his own identity like he starts carrying a tomahawk. Mm-hmm. He kills someone with a tomahawk
0: mm-hmm. and we're supposed to
1: be like oh wow he's not at all his staid british self it feels like so fucked up that that that's the that's That's the the thing thing. that like
0: alights inside of himself this other part
1: or that's this part that's supposed to like indicate to us Mm -hmm. that he's connected with nature or whatever and it is like very much like he's connected with his roots he's connected with his nature very, it's very fucked up. I think the question of whether or not this is a romance or a no-mance is complicated by the fact that the more I reflect on reading this book, I'm not so sure it's a romance.
0: I think that's like one of the questions that's really worth asking of this particular author and this particular novel because it has all the hallmarks, right? We have a heroine, we have a hero. Mm-hmm. They go through trials and tribulations over mm-hmm. the course of a really fraught landscape. Yeah. Over a course of years, but we still get our happily ever after. It ends in a wedding. He turns vote for her. She recognizes her own ability. They have like a long discussion about parody and equality, about what it means to be with each other. All of those are hallmarks of romances. But also not because
1: questions of parody rarely come up in romances. That's true. And I think maybe that's like part of it. Like the book's insistence on questions like consent Mm -hmm. and appropriateness really bring to light the inappropriateness of what's going on and like the depictions of war and cruelty.
0: There's some real discussions of torture here there's, that like are not at all titillating and are not written to be in any way yeah. other than what they are. So in there's that way, not it feels a like lot, a historical book.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of cheesecake here. Yeah. And there's a lot of statement of historical fact. Yeah. And back to the point where it gets in the way of a sex scene, mm-hmm. which should never happen in a romance novel. And so
0: I'm going to say It's not a romance. I don't know. I don't know. I'm torn. And I'm torn in a lot of particular ways because like this particular type of book feels to me like the kind of romance that could cross into, like, a New York Times, like, glowing book review. Like, there are elements here, the way that it deals, frankly, with torture, war, the kinds of racism that are endemic in both the Society of 1776, but also our own. Those feel to me like big L literature bait but it also conforms to a romance formula
1: but not everything that's not big L literature is romance that's
0: true i'm not sure what this is this feels like particularly gray area to me because like with a happy ever after and with a very distinctive hero heroine pairing several sex scenes of dubious content yeah Those dubious are... content has never gotten in the way of a romance novel being a romance novel as Kathleen Woodiwiss has shown us
1: this is honestly the first time I've read a book for this show that I've been like is it? is it? Is that i 've actually questioned,
0: yeah, and I think it's worth it. I think like the fact that Donna Thorland can get classed by Amazon and other places as like non romance genre is a fair idea of like how yeah. complicated this particular book is. does she consider herself a romance novelist i don 't know. I will find out. <laughs>
1: I hope we can work this out together. So, Womance or No-Mance for you?
0: It's a Womance for me. I really like this book. I like this whole series, though. Turncoat, yeah. I think, is the stronger of this, but Rebel Pirate is also quite good. Like, Rebel Pirate feels more like a romance than this one. This one is really complicated, and I think it's complicated by race, and I think this is, like, this is one of those times where you see an author expand effort in service to, this feels like a book about big issues. Yeah. And like, I think sometimes the plot and like the titillation is like lost in service to the big issue of consent or the big issue of race.
1: Yeah, I think if you're looking for a romance novel, you should not read this
0: book. I think if you're looking for fan fiction about the United States of America, this if, might be for you.
1: If you're a big fan of American Revolution or the War for American Independence, if you're interested in that, you should read this book. But I'm going to say, so I guess it's a no
0: man's. Whoa, it's a woman's for
1: me. It's a you should read it. As I always say, whenever I select no man's it's a no man's for me.
0: I think that's right. Can't be everything for everybody. Certainly not. Mhm. All right. Mm. With that, dear listeners,
1: we wish you a happy 4th of July.
0: Complicated, terrible, as all of this news is, it's important to remember, as I think all of us should in these moments and I'll post this video, that we the people has for so long not applied to all of us. Mm-hmm. And that it is our great, beautiful, terrible burden to make it so. Mm-hmm. I think we can do that.
1: Here, here, And uh, be grateful for the tools you have and Uh, you know, fight for more tools and to give other people more tools as well.
0: That's America's foundational promise. So
1: foundational promise gang
0: lovelies. I hope you drink lukewarm PBR. I hope you have some Mm. hot dogs. I hope you see fireworks and I hope
1: have a Miller high life for your girl
0: Morgan, (laughs) the champagne of beers. And I hope when you hear anything that sounds patriotic, I hope it doesn't hurt your heart the way that I think it might. And if it does, I want you to know that we're all here too. And we're in it with you
1: loosen your stays,
0: but never your principles.
1: Mwah! hey folks it's morgan thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Wellmance. our logo is by mary reichman and our original music and editing is by nick gravelin they're the best Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Mance? Well, chin up, buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, Mance all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct, why not send us an email? We're mail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.